What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to this Side Hustle Show. It's the business podcast you can actually apply. And today we're exploring a unique opportunity to turn the world's largest buyer of goods and services into a customer of yours. That's right. We're talking about selling to the government. Nothing like having a client that can literally print the money, right? But there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of misunderstandings about getting government contracts. So I've enlisted some expert help to help us learn how to do it the right way. Retired Lieutenant Colonel Ricky Howard is here. He spent years on the purchasing side for the Department of Defense, and now he helps small businesses like yours get their foot in the door, set themselves up for success. You can find him at dodcontract.com. Ricky, welcome to the Side Hustle Show. Thanks, man. I'm a huge fan of the Side Hustle Show. And uh, yeah, no, glad to be here. Hopefully I can uh, provide some value to your audience. I am flattered by that. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for your service. Let's start off with the big picture, the government contracting opportunity. How come so many small businesses either aren't aware of this, they're intimidated by this? Uh, kick us off with some, uh, some big picture stuff. It's an amazing opportunity that you're right. Most small businesses either don't know about or don't try, or if they do try, they're really not sure where to start. So the government is the single biggest purchaser of goods and services in the world. And what's interesting about that is they are also mandated by law to buy from small businesses, right? So uh, roughly 23% of all of their spending for you know discretionary contracts and whatnot has to go to small businesses. And a lot of the agencies actually exceed that to include the Department of Defense, which of course is near and dear to my heart. Uh, that's where I kind of grew up. So, and just to give you an idea of what that looks like, right? So last year, about $154 billion spent just on small business contracts from the government. The military spent $83 billion. of So of that money that was spent on small businesses, over half spent by the DOD and another $50 billion by the DOD on subcontracts with small businesses. And we can get into what that means. But I think when we're thinking about how much money is being spent, and by the way, they buy everything. So it's not just weapon systems and you know the big defense contracting thing. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Like, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm a solo operator. I'm probably not manufacturing tanks in my garage or something. So it's like, okay, but that's, you know, that's at the very high end of what they're buying. But there's like, there's lots of opportunity below that too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you think about it, you know, and I'll go back to the military, right? It's really about people. And every military base is really a small town or city. So I really love bringing clients onto a base for the first time because really their eyes go wide and I'm like, Ricky, I did not expect to see neighborhoods and kids playing football and, you know, landscaping guys, you know, mowing lawns and office buildings with civilians in them, as well as the military and shopping malls and golf courses. So basically everything that you could think of that would be in a regular town is on these bases, all the infrastructure that supports that. And all that needs to be paid for. And the DOD is buying a lot of that, the U.S. military. And of course, the other government agencies as well buy a lot of different services. I think where the real opportunity is, is if we think about how much money is being spent and then how much, how many small businesses are in you know this country, which last time I checked was something like 33 million, maybe a little over 33 million, about 65,000 small businesses are actually purchasing or selling to the US government right now. That's less than half of 1% of all small businesses are actually even trying to sell to the government. And it's actually been decreasing. So over the past 10 years, we've seen 40% less activity with small businesses selling to the government. So the government is increasing spending every year on small business contracts and the number of small businesses that are trying to sell decreasing. Why do you think that is? 
I think that's because first, you don't know what you don't know, right? Business to business sales and business to commercial, that's probably what most people are familiar with. But selling to the government is a completely different ballgame because it's regulated by the government, right? And it all falls under something called the Federal Acquisitions Regulations. And there's not, even though there are a couple websites that try to, that the government has out there that try to show you the path, it is not intuitive. In fact, it can be like most companies that I've worked with on the government side and now, you know, how it smoke coming out of their ears, trying to figure out what do I got to do to start consistently selling to the government? And we can walk through that here. That's so really my objective is increase the number of small businesses selling to the government, no matter what the agency in my experience has been that they've typically been the best to work with. They're usually more innovative as far as technologies. They're easily um, adapting to a changing government environment. And they really provide a service and product that is valued by the people, not only in the military, but the other government agencies. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's why you're here to kind of deconstruct some of this stuff. So $154 billion, I think you said was the, uh, you know, small business spending portion of Uncle Sam's budget. And meanwhile, less Less businesses are competing for it than ever before. So it's uh, an opportunity. Maybe it's even less competitive than trying to stake your claim doing uh, B2C or B2B operations, but it's a little bit of a black box. You got to jump through some hoops to figure out how to get in the door. So maybe we start off with like, okay, are they even buying what I'm selling or is this, you know, is this something that's worthwhile to pursue this path? This is public sector, right? And I always correlate that with in the public sector. All the information is public. So there is no place that I've found where it's easier to deconstruct maybe what a competitor is doing or who is doing the spending because it's all public information. So maybe we could start, like you said, with uh, where can you go to find out what the government is actually doing as far as your particular niche is, whether it's your you know side hustle or whether it's your small business. So I would recommend people start with usaspending.gov. It's a free government website. And when you go into usaspending.gov, there's a few places you could go. I would go into award search. It's going to be up at the top. And there's going to be a pull-down menu. When you hit the pull-down menu, you want to go to advanced search. Okay, so when you go to advanced search, you're going to see a bunch of criteria on the left. And don't worry about all of it if you don't know what it means. I'm going to kind of walk you through what I would recommend you do. So uh, the first is... You're going to see some years on there, so you can search by years of spending. And I always recommend, go back the last three years. The government works on a fiscal year, not the calendar year. So government fiscal year starts at the beginning of October, October 1st, and ends at the end of September. Now, what I like to do is I like to look the past three years whenever I'm doing a search, because in 2005, you know, the search criteria in what the government is buying back then is going to be different than it is now, especially if it's something like a social media you know, job or something that has to do with a technology that wasn't quite there yet 20 years ago. So I go FY22, FY21, FY20, maybe FY19. And that's going to give you a good idea of what recent spending looks like. From there, you have two ways of really searching for something specific. You can go type in a keyword, or you can, if you scroll down, you're going to see a section that says NAICS, which stands for North American Industry Classification System. So essentially what the government's done is they have, like they do, is they've assigned a code to just about every industry that they can think of. And whatever you're doing, you probably generally fall into one of those uh, codes. I like to search with those codes to start off with because it's going to give me the best broad idea of spending. 
So for instance, if you are painting, you could use the NAICS code. And by the way, that system in usaspending.gov will give you the NAICS code. So if you just type in painting or house painting under the NAICS tab, it's going to show you a NAICS code that says 238320. And that's your house painting NAICS code. Oh, uh, Okay. This was something like I never knew what to put. I feel like I had to come up with something for this when I you know, very first registered the business. And it's like, I don't know, like it's a it's a website. <laughs> I was like, it was kind of weird. But you you find something like, you know, digital media or something like, I don't know. But yes, that's that's right. helpful. So you find it better to search by code rather than keyword. Initially, right? So for the purposes of this, just to determine if the government's buying what you sell, this is going to be easier because basically every contract that is assigned that NAICS code is going to pop up. So I find it's an easier way to look at that broad category. We could talk about some more specific ways to find things later on the podcast if you want. But so when I ran the search earlier, I came up with about $253 million spent in just painting, right? Over the past three years. The DOD was responsible for about $175 million of that. Um, and it kind of trickled down from the Air Force down to the Navy as to which the top three uh, services within the DOD as far as what they were spending. Okay. Now, when you run that search, there's a couple different ways that you can, there are different tabs you can click on, and some of them will give you spending over years. Uh, some of them will give you spending you know, across agencies. So like I said, DOD was at the top, but it will show you the other agencies, what they're spending. And Everything from residential, like inside painting, because remember, there are houses on military bases all over the country, all over the world, to, you know, interior office uh, painting. And then, of course, you know, on Air Force bases, there are things like airplane hangers and even uh, mock-ups of aircraft. So if you're a creative or, you know, you like to paint models, you know, they hire people to come in and refurbish these aircraft and kind of paint tail numbers on them and stuff. Looking at some of the awards, as I just ran through it, like just as an example. So there was one small business award for 293000 at wright Pat Air Force Base, which is in Ohio. And that was different delivery orders. So one type of contract that you might see if you are selling to the government is there are a lot of different types of contracts, but they might put you on contract so they can over time, give you different jobs, right? So I would know, for instance, as a program manager or an acquisitions officer, that I would need painting services several times over the next couple of years. And I don't want to have to put out a solicitation every time I need to hire a painter to, you know, paint a hallway or, you know, paint a building. So once you have this award, they can give you delivery orders. So for instance, on this particular one, I saw, we saw that there was a delivery order for $31,000 for painting interior walls. And then later another one for $21,000 to paint closets and doors. Okay. So those are the type of things that you might see. Once you're in, it's easier to get, you know, secondary work after the fact. And that's the same, you know, thing when I'm hiring a contractor, it's like, well, now I, you know, the reason I'm looking on Upwork or someplace to begin with is because I don't have my go-to person for that. And then once I find somebody and they're good, it's like, okay, I will keep, I will keep doing some interesting ones. I ran a couple searches and this is just for the purpose of like, are they buying what I'm selling or what I'm considering selling? And I looked up like landscaping and it was like one of the awards was like $56 billion, like $56 billion, like for landscape. And it was like designing the U.S. Embassy in Mexico City or something. It was like, I was like, oh, okay, you know, that seems more reasonable than like mowing somebody's grass. I just looked up uh, podcast or podcasting, one of the two, and found uh, a handful of awards between eighteen dollars and $40,000 with some of the award recipients being what appear to be solo operators or they have like, you know, 
Jonathan Yales is one of the ones, or Christy Low Productions LLC. So it seems like these are, at least by name, appear to be smaller companies, and you know they have like production for this, like something was Fort Bragg, something was you know photo. The category was like uh, photo, map, print, publication, other, or motion picture photography production or something. It's like, oh, okay, these are things that are reasonable. So that, like, if if those are my skill sets, that gives me hope that, oh, okay, maybe this is worth pursuing. Exactly. More with Ricky in just a moment, including his biggest piece of advice for businesses trying to get their first government contract right after this. If you're scrambling to get your books in order, and you may be thinking, never again, this is the year I finally get organized, I want to invite you to check out our sponsor, FreshBooks.com, which helps you track income and expenses throughout the year. That gives you a real-time dashboard of your profitability, and it makes your taxes a breeze. Here's FreshBooks founder and CEO, Mike McDermott, on what FreshBooks does and who it's for. Ridiculously easy to use invoicing and accounting software that's in the cloud so you can access it on any device. As I like to say, if you invoice, you need FreshBooks. We don't do retail. We don't do restaurants. We're just built for people who who send invoices, get paid for their time and expertise. And we serve people with no employees up to people with a lot of employees. Side Hustle Show listeners can try FreshBooks free for 30 days at freshbooks.com slash side hustle. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle to test it out for free. No catch and no credit card required. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes. T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. All right. So after we've kind of done this bare bones validation of like, okay, there's there's some precedent for government contracts in my niche, or at least, you know, similar to what I'm thinking of offering, where where do you recommend people go next? So the next thing you probably want to do is go to Sam.gov. And SAM.gov is that is where the government repository of all federal contracting information resides. That's where we have solicitations, you know, for government projects. So that's a request for a proposal or a request for quote could be for painting work, like we just talked about, or for the podcasting work. And it's also where you register your business to sell to the government. So if you go to SAM.gov, I believe it's on the upper right-hand side. You can go right in there and it's going to uh, walk you through, hey, you can register for your business here and we'll walk you through the steps on um, how to do that. It's really self-explanatory, but it does usually take you know a week or two to get all of the cage codes and approvals. Okay, fair enough. So that's a process in itself, but 
don't don't let that <laughs> discourage you. <laughs> uh, no, don't. It, it's actually relatively simple. And, you know, look, there, there are people out there that are kind of selling, you know, that they'll help you to do that. But in reality, all of the information that you're going to need to register your government, you're the one that's going to have that information, not anyone that you're paying. So I think it, it's pretty simple. Um, and just an example, you know, just before this, I just went in there again, because I've helped some companies, um, you know, for free, actually just get in there. You just need your legal business name, your physical address, date of incorporation, state, and, um, you know, there's some other stuff if you're not a U.S. entity. But, yeah, so there's some initial information and there's a checklist they provide you with everything that you need uh, before you get started. Okay. Do you have anybody, clients, students or, or otherwise, who almost play the matchmaker game? Like, I'm going to set up, like, you know, NJL Services, LLC or something. Like, I'm just going to register just a very, very generic thing. And then I'm going to get good at trying to play matchmaker between the type of work that is being put out for bid and then qualified service providers who, you know, don't even have this type of work on their radar, but would be more than happy to take it to fill up their calendar, whether it be house painting, landscaping, social media marketing. Like, do, does anybody go about it from that standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so they call them integrators. And, you know, government contract integrators are a very popular uh, business to be in, I guess you could say, right? So, you know, they will, t I should say there's two actual ways, right? There are the integrators, right, which will see a solicitation or find out about an opportunity ahead of time. And they'll try to put a couple companies together, maybe use their registration to sell it. There's, there's that and maybe they manage the project because there are rules about uh, how much work you have to do as a prime contractor, right? So for instance, on a lot of contracts, I wouldn't be able to just be a prime and have Nick do 99.9% .9 of the podcast work if it was a podcasting uh, job, right? I might okay. have to do 40% of it or 50. Uh, but that might be program management and some other things. So, uh, But there's definitely people that combine businesses to go after some of these. And then there's also subcontracting, which is really popular and, and necessary because a lot of these jobs are big, right? So it might be a big construction project on a base that includes something like HVAC units for the building in an HVAC system. So a subcontract might go to a company that just specializes in HVAC or SCADA, and that would be the prime and the subcontractor working together and probably putting a bid in together on that, that work. Okay. Yeah. I was just thinking like, well, you know, if you don't, if you're idea agnostic and you start to look at some of these requests for proposals like well shoot you know i could go out and find a painting company or i could go find somebody who's a master at linkedin video or like i don't know whatever it may be yeah absolutely especially if you know as you dive a little bit deeper as a small business there are also certifications you can get so if you're a woman-owned small business if you are service disabled or a minority-owned business there are further percentages assigned to each of those. So the government has to award somewhere between three and 5% of all those contracts have to go to a woman owned small business. Uh, same with 8A, same with service disabled veteran owned small business. So sometimes you'll see a solicitation comes out and it come out and it'll say that it is set aside for a woman owned small business. Well, now only a woman owned small business can bid on that contract. So if you own a woman owned small business, you might, but you don't do the work, you might say to a competitor or somebody else you know, hey, you know, if you join me on this, I can put a bid on this and maybe we do the work together. Okay. So we're now at sam.gov. We've gone through the registration process for registering our business, or maybe we'll, you know, table that for a second until we find an interesting opportunity. What happens next? How do I search for, you know, the juicy upcoming contracts? Sure. So there's a couple things you can do here, but this is probably my biggest piece of advice for everybody listening. And this is where companies 
that fail to sell to the government tend to get caught up. They discover Sam.gov and they've discovered this, you know, the spending that the government is doing. And they figure out that, hey, they're spending a lot of money in my category or, you know, the product or service that I specialize in. And they're looking for those solicitations and they see them come out and they see solicitations that are perfect for them. So they register and they start writing proposals. But what I can tell you is that if your first engagement with the government office is you writing a proposal on a solicitation, your odds of winning are very, very low. That doesn't mean that you can't win, right? But it means that you actually want to start, depending on the industry, you want to start before that. So what I recommend people do, and if you go to SAM.gov, there's a screen on the left that talks about um, award search, and there's a drop-down menu. You can look for contract opportunities, but then you can you can filter those contract opportunities. So what I like to do is I like to filter them either by um, NAICS code or keywords. So I'm looking for the type of service or the product that I provide. But I also like to look for requests for information and sources sought instead of request for proposals, request for quotes. So in what that is, a request for information or sources sought, that's the government trying to figure out how they want to solve a problem. Right? And this is where I advise everybody listening to engage, right? So just going back to myself sitting, you know, in the Air Force or with the DOD, you know, I wasn't the landscaping expert, right? I wasn't the social media expert. But if I had to put that on contract, now I have to figure out everything that goes into the solicitation, like uh, what type of specification should be in there, what technologies should be used, right? So I'm going to go out to the businesses that specialize in that, to you, to your audience listeners, with something called a request for information or sources sought, because I want to know there are people out there that can do it. And I want to know what they think should be in there. And a lot of companies don't engage on this. So this is really where you first want to be or one of the first places that you want to be engaging because it's usually pretty low effort to put a request for information or a sources sought response together. Usually they're three to five pages and you they're not really regulated either. So you answer questions and you can recommend things. Okay. So this is, so now I, I clicked like contract opportunities on sam.gov and then on the left-hand menu is kind of like the advanced search filters and so under notice type, I am down to, uh, I, can, I can select uh, sources sought here and see what that brings up. Okay. And then you, and then you can filter by date too, because sometimes it'll be like from five years ago. Exactly. So I like to filter by, so sources sought, pre-solicitation. Those are two good ones to click on because it's going to give you, you know, the opportunities ahead of time. So ahead of the solicitation. So think about it this way. When the RFP comes out, the request for a proposal or the request for quote. I, that's what I'm referring to as a solicitation. That means all of the requirements are set. So think of your contracting officer, the government contracting officer, as someone with handcuffs on. Okay, At that point, they have to be very, very careful not to give you any additional information about the opportunity. They got to be very careful. They're probably not going to meet with you. If they respond to a question, it's probably going to be through sam.gov in a notice to everybody. So all businesses can see the answers and they have an equal opportunity. But before that solicitation, when you see those sources sought, the handcuffs are off. And that's where I was trying to figure out how to put a company on contract. So this is where we figure out, hey, can I set it aside for a woman-owned small business, for instance, right? So if you're a small business, you can respond to an RFI and whether they ask for it or not, you can suggest, hey, you should set this aside for a small business or a woman-owned small business or hub zone or whatever you fit into. Because what you're doing is you're eliminating competition. So if they set it aside for a small business, that means 
all of the big businesses, they can't put a proposal in unless they partner with somebody like you. Same thing, woman-owned small business. You're Now you've eliminated 97% of the uh, businesses out there. So you're really restricting the amount of people that can go after those and you're improving your odds. And you can also suggest things like, hey, this is what I've done in the past. These are the use cases. This is what I've seen work. And often an acquisitions officer will work those into the upcoming solicitation. Okay. Any, uh, any interesting ones that you found recently through here? I was looking through some of the uh, the painting ones, and there were sources sought for hallway painting, right? So you can respond to that. Now, that might not seem interesting unless you're, you have a small house painting business. And by the way, you can also sort these by location. So if you have a small house painting business in Ohio, well, now you can look for just government painting opportunities in Ohio that you know you would actually travel for. I was looking for, you know, we looked through some graphic design work and we saw, for instance, uh, photo printing and acrylic framing pop up. We saw, you know, name tags, um, printing name tags for the Army War College. We saw another one. This one was actually a contract that had already been awarded, but it was uh, just developing a social media brand guide for the Department of Defense. And that was uh, just under $300,000. And it was simplified acquisitions. And if you see simplified acquisitions, that's typically referring to the way a government can put a small business on contract for, you know, contracts roughly under a million dollars. There's some specifications that go into that, but it's an easier way to put a company on contract. Okay. So the the common pitfall or the the default thinking is like looking for the immediate request for proposal, like, shoot, I'm going to get throw my name in the ring and hopefully get, get chosen here. But your advice is like, you know, you got to kind of start the conversation a little bit earlier in the process to be a helpful source of information and you can kind of guide the things that way. So at the bottom of these, uh, at least a couple that I was looking at, it says, you must email your response to this guy at this department, it gives you a specific email, and it tells you kind of the template to use. Like you need to answer these questions in your three to five page document. And it's just, uh, you can't imagine there's a ton of competition going out there and doing that. So by virtue of doing so, you, you got to be on the short list when they turn around and put out the actual request for proposal. Is that the thinking? Absolutely. I mean, just think about it, right? So I will tell you that, and this does not mean anything unfair happened, but I always knew, always, that there was a company that could solve our problem before solicitation. Because putting a solicitation out for the government is a lot of work. So it is you know, imperative for the gov- on the government side to know that there's a company out there that not only can do it, but we get our, the best advice on what the requirement is that goes into that contract should be. So there's a government requirement, hey, we need this and there's funding, but then there's, hey, what are the specifications, right? So if it's, you know, social media, you know, what are what are the specific tools that you're using that we should have included in there? Is there a certain amount of past performance that you should have? You know, what's what's up and coming, you know, is it something like, you know, TikTok and if so, like I don't know how many customers should you have in the past that could, you know, show that you're good at this and that what kind of results have you generated that would be important for us to consider. So, I mean, there's just each industry is so different that you have to go out and, you know, look for that. And and we're all human, right? So, you know, on my end, if that solicitation goes out and I've had two companies really working with me closely, responding to our sources sought and setting up meetings, that's something else you can do that they don't tell you about. You can respond to a source of SOD or an RFI, and then you can request a meeting a week or two later with the government office. You might not always get it, but you might, right? So, hey, I responded to this source of SOD, and I think I can really solve your problem set. And even if it's not us, I got some things that I'd like to recommend for you to consider, right? A lot of times that's going to get you a meeting with the program manager, and they're going to be all ears to hear how you can solve that. And by the way, 
a lot of contracting opportunities do not go to a competitive solicitation. A lot of these get awarded sole source to companies or at a reduced competition. So these sole source awards that happen, they happen before the solicitation. So if you want to be part of that and avoid having to be in a longer competitive process, this is where you want to be. You want to be in meetings with the acquisitions teams and you want to be responding to those RFIs and sources. Gotcha. Sorry, I'm just I'm I'm scrolling through trying to find uh, some interesting examples here. Oh no, I mean there's 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 a lot of so one of them that I mentioned is uh, we were talking about a lot of your audience just involved with social media and you know different projects there. I was surprised, and I'm always surprised every time I go through there to see what they're buying, right? But I saw more contracts for Facebook Live pop up when I started looking for social media past awards. I was really surprised that the government was paying people for that, but you know. Advertising and getting our message out is a big thing, but also managing social media for service members or for government employees in another agency. Those are all going to be projects that are funded and they have to hire somebody to do them. Yeah, my wife works at a, I guess, a DOE contractor, like a national lab. And she said, oh, you, you know, when I told her we were recording, it's like, oh, you know, we spend money on photographers to come in here. We spend money on, uh, lots of money on training, like, you know, different training people to come in. And sometimes, you know, during COVID, it was all remote training. And so I was looking up like mindfulness or something. And it was actually the U.S. Capitol Police had like, you know, a request for mindfulness uh, training solicitation or something. So there's a ton of stuff in here. And so after that, you're kind of going through this, following their requested process, hopefully developing a relationship with whoever the decision maker is, whoever's putting this request out there. And then... Uh, and sometimes it doesn't even go up for like, you know, a grand public bid. It's like, hey, you know, we found we found our person, we found our company who's able to help us out with this. When it does go out for bid, are any best practices uh, for, <laughs> yes. for somebody to, uh, to uh, shortlist themselves? And by the way, so after you kind of dig into it, you know, there's no way to predict every solicitation or to engage. Sometimes you're going to see an RFP, a request for proposal, and you wouldn't have engaged before, like you just didn't see it, right? You're, you're active, you're, you're do, trying to do things the right way, but it's perfect for your business. So there are going to be times where you are going to engage on a solicitation when you haven't you know, gone through the RFI source of sought route. And then, of course, there are also going to be times where you respond to a request for information and you set up a meeting with the government, but they are still going to publicly compete that opportunity. So when you do see a solicitation, best practices, right? If you've done your homework beforehand, as we've been talking about, you're going to have an idea when it comes out. You're going to know when that's coming out, meaning you're not going to be surprised by it. You know that maybe in December of 2023, a solicitation is going to drop that you're going to have to respond to. Well, if you've already seen the RFI or sources sought, you're going to have an idea of what's going to go into that solicitation. Now, one big difference between when you respond to an RFI, like you've just seen on there, and responding to a official solicitation is an official government solicitation is exacting. Like you don't add anything to it that they're not asking for. If it's there's a page count and you try to put, if it's a 20 page limit and you put 22 pages in, those last two pages get cut off. In fact, if you flagrantly disregard the rules of that solicitation, a lot of times they will just, they won't even look at them. They'll just set them aside because you didn't follow the rules. So just know that that is exacting. You want to make sure that you hit every piece of criteria because they get scored by a team of people typically, depending on how big they are. So if you're going after a larger contract, that's going to get scored. Now, best practices, right? So, I said earlier, you know, the best part about this is all of public sector contracting information is public. So we can go in and we can see what contracts have gone for before, right? So you can get an idea of pricing by looking at similar contracts that have already been awarded. 
something else you can do, you can go to a website, GSA. GSA is an organization that they have their own contracts. I don't want to get in, I don't want to turn this into a GSA conversation, but companies that have GSA contracts, all of their pricing information is published. So you can see what they're charging by the hour. You can see what different projects cost on some of those. So that's tip one is you can get an idea with a little bit of research what pricing is, what pricing is going to look like. How much have they spent in the past for something just so you don't come in? And really, I feel like the bigger risk is probably selling yourself short. You don't want to sell yourself short. So there's, there's a lot of different contract types. Some contract types allow you to build your profit right into your proposal, right? So, so a, I guess, cost plus fixed fee, for instance, contract, you're going to have a, a fixed fee that you're going to get no matter what. And then you're going to have, you know, what it costs you to take care of that contract. But that's not typical. You're probably going to see firm fixed price more than anything else. My advice is for your first one, for your first proposal, you could even go to Upwork and find somebody that actually has a history of successfully writing government contracts and get a little bit of help on that first one just so you can see what it looks like. That's probably going to help you out the most when you're doing your first or you're writing your first proposal. Okay, that makes sense. And after that, once you have a template and you've won a contract, now it becomes a little bit easier. You kind of get an idea of, you know, what the government's going after. You know, and I'm guessing most of your audience isn't going after the $100 million, $200 million contracts. I mean, those now those could be 100 pages long. But when we're talking about the smaller contracts. It could be a little bit easier to find somebody to help you write that, get a good idea, meet all of the criteria, and get that in there. Yeah, it's helpful to just have a, have a ballpark in mind because you think about, like, we're serving a very different audience, if you're used to serving, you know, individual consumers, or you're used to serving even small business customers, it's like, well, it's going to be 15 grand to redesign your website, sir. Like, okay, as to me as an individual, it's like, okay, that seems high, but seems reasonable. But it's like, if you're pitching that to, you know, Nike or somebody, it's like, hey, are you really going to do that good of a job for only 15 grand, you know? And so it's hard to say, you know, where to bid. So that's helpful to, you know, use some of the existing public information resources to say, well, what's what's the precedent for this? And then go out and find somebody on Upwork who has done this before. Like, hey, you know, can you help me out with this? I don't want to screw this up. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes the solicitation itself will give you a ballpark of, you know, what you're looking at as far as funding is concerned. And if you have engaged with that office already and, you, you know, through the RFI process, look, it's not a secret what the funding looks like. You can ask them, hey, do you have funding for this? What does your budget look like, right? So if a company's coming to me for training, I mean, very often I've had many clients that have had different trainings, you know, maybe leadership or program management, whatever it was, maybe it was a $35,000 training course and they were coming in just for a couple of days to train a classroom of people. You know, that could be a conversation with you and the contracting officer or the PM, just like, hey, you know, we do this type of work. You know, what do you think that you'd pay for something like this? But they might tell you, hey, we only have a $25,000 budget for this. So tell me what you can do for that. And like you said, don't cut yourself short. You have to make profit and you can build different things into there. Do you have to travel to give this training? Do you have to produce materials? Do you have to pay somebody by the hour? How much are you paying them? Your time for planning all of this, you can charge for. So there are a lot of different buckets that you can build into that cost estimate. Yeah, I found one. This was for janitorial services for the uh, Ketchikan and Fairbanks airports. So just, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff on here. And so, you know. Oh, it's amazing. Um, real estate agents, right? So if you're a real estate agent, my wife's a real estate agent. So I always found this fascinating. There's a tremendous, I don't want to say a tremendous amount of money there, but the government hires real estate agents for a ton of, especially office leasing. So I guess maybe that would fall more on the commercial side. 
But you know, real estate agents also have a avenue here. Really, no matter what you do, even if you think the government doesn't buy it, I would I would go in and take a look, and you may be surprised at you know what you find. Yeah, I did a search for copywriting. I don't think there were any pre solicitation stuff for that, but there was like you know they had spent money on this in a previous time to say, okay, well we're gonna hire somebody to make this brochure for us or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what you can do also if there's no RFI or source of sought and you find contracts uh, for similar, you know, services, you can go ahead and contact the office and see, hey, you know, I saw that you have, you know, put out three of these copywriting contracts in the past year. I don't see any requests for information. You know, what else is potentially out there? You know, one thing that I do recommend is, and we talk about focus a lot. So, you know, when I take my students in the academy or a client through this drill of seeing who's buying what they sell, we inevitably end up picking one or two customers, government customers to fix on. Meaning, hey, if we see that the Air Force is the top spender in my category, I'm going to go see, okay, well, what are the contracting offices that are making the purchases there? Because remember, 99.9% of people in the government can't buy anything from you. So that's why this drill is really helpful. You want to know the contracting officers and you want to know the acquisitions offices that actually do that purchasing. And it's all right there. You just have to go and take a look at some of those contracts, use some of these tools we talked about, and you can find that. And then when I ID my customer, now I can also, you know, there, in addition to Sam.gov, there are a lot of paid for sites that you can go to where you can set up searches where you just get an email every morning and it'll say, hey, an RFI just came out for... Uh, tai Chi instruction at, you know, this base, you know, do you want to put something in for it? And then you, then it becomes automated, it becomes a little bit easier. Okay. And so that would be more on the USA spending side where you could see, Hey, three or four years ago, you guys were buying this, like what, what happened here? Or, you know, trying to get back on that radar, if that may be a product or service that they could, they could still use in the future. If you don't find anything on the Sam.gov site. And I would consider this a more advanced uh, way of going about it, but uh, absolutely. So one thing you can do, let's say that you see a, a three-year contract for yoga instruction at Hanscom Air Force Base in Massachusetts, and that it's expiring in, let's say, March of 2023. Okay, well, if you know that contract's expiring, even though you're not seeing an RFI or a source of sought come out, you can go maybe make contact with that acquisition shop to say, hey... We noticed that this contract's out and it's expiring in the spring. Are you going to be competing that contract again? Do you, are you going to continue to have that type of work? And they may say, yes, uh, there's going to be an RFI coming out in two months or, hey, maybe we don't need it, right? I mean, that's helpful to know also. Or, hey, maybe we're converting it to a virtual space. And if that's something, you know, that your business does, that might be something we can start talking to you about. You know, what is that? What is a agreement between the government and your business look like? When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. 
And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Any examples of either clients of yours or just other stories, like of people who've, you know, had some big wins in this space? It doesn't have to be big, but just like, hey, I got, I got, I got a bite, you know, and here I go. I'm making, I'm making money selling to the government. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's a young woman who just does uh, furniture moving. And so she had a couple of uh, contracts the past year, about 16000 a piece, just moving furniture out of an office, one-day jobs, you know, one or two-day jobs. She's planning them, uh, moving furniture, which is pretty cool. Dang, I could go move some furniture for sixteen grand. Hey, exactly. And I can remember, you know, being in uniform and someone saying, hey, these guys just got paid five grand to move the furniture out of this room and put it into that room. I'm like, that sounds pretty good to me. (laughs) That sounds pretty good to me. And granted, there's overhead and there's everything else. You know, there's the time you have to put into winning that contract. I worked with another woman who she ran a, a help desk service. And what's interesting is, you know, as we started running through uh, the drill of, you know, just some of the tools that we used here, going to usaspending.gov, going to sam.gov, and then some of the other uh, tools that I use, like GovTribe, for instance, we were able to see that looking at things like requests for information and reaching out to the offices, that the government was transitioning from the legacy help desk systems to new software, new tools that could help people with disabilities, right? So if you call the VA or you call another organization in the Army, if you have a hearing disability or a sight disability, how can they help you? What what can help uh, an individual in that need? And she ended up focusing on how to transition from legacy to new systems. And it was just a need that they saw. And, and she's done a tremendous amount of work, about a million dollars a year um, the past couple of years that, that she's been working with different federal agencies. Yeah, there was one that came up in one of my searches and it was like, we're seeking a a commercial software solution for employee communications or something. I I was like, oh, you probably don't have to be the designer, the builder, the coder of that software. You probably just have to be an expert in it who can help set this up and help transition the team. And like, oh, okay. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned integrators and, and whatnot. There are people that just sell software licenses to the government. They're not their software licenses, you know, they're, they're kind of the middleman. So they will sell other company software licenses. And like you said, you can be involved with consulting. You can help set up 
set it up. You can help maybe train a unit how to do that over time, or maybe provide consistent training over a year or two. That's a really interesting one. We had um, a whole episode on white labeling software, reselling software a few months ago. And it was like, oh, that was a popular one because it was like, oh, this is, I don't have to be the coder, but I could still experience the benefits of recurring revenue from selling these licenses and adding a, a layer of customer support on top of that. So this could just be another line of income for them, right? So using, uh, targeting the government. So yeah, lots of interesting options here. Ricky, really appreciate you kind of walking us through the ins and outs of, you know, trying to set yourself up for success. Like any, like surprisingly so. I think that's probably my biggest takeaway here is like, it's still about relationships. It's still about how can you get yourself on the short list? You know, similar to getting hired for any job. Like if, you know, if you're waiting for the, uh, you know, posting to come out across on on Indeed or something, ah, you know, they, they've already passed over all their internal applications. Like if you can get, if you know somebody who knows somebody, then you're going to have a shorter, uh, an easier time getting to that. So I'm really appreciate you sharing that. You mentioned the DoD Contract Academy podcast. You got dodcontract.com. What's going on for you these days? What are you excited about? Yeah, so I'm excited about, you know, increasing the number of small businesses selling to the government. Like you said, it is about relationships, right? So we're talking about people on both sides. One of the best government business developers I've ever met said, if you had to break it down into one statement, one thing that you need to do, it's get meetings, right? So it's just doing that in a way that makes sense. So there are plenty of research tools out there where you can do that. Yeah, some of the things uh, that we're doing with the Academy is, that I'm really excited about is we have a certification program now. So that's for either, you know, whether it's a CEO or a small business owner that just wants to learn how to sell to the government or a professional maybe that wants to switch in from, you know, commercial sales into public sector sales. It's a great way to do that. And then we just have our regular training if you just want to learn a little bit more about that. I also have a code for your show. So if uh, you go to dodcontract.com, if you're listening to this, you can type in the side hustle show in the coupon section if you hit join uh, the academy and that'll give you one month free. So you'll have access to every course we have. So if somebody wants to see me walking through, you know, these different tools that we're using, the free resources, maybe explaining in greater detail how to go out and, uh, and do some of this, they can go through our uh, get started section. And there's a few training modules in there. They're going to show them exactly what to do from registering to actually defining their customer and how to influence and start winning those contracts. Very cool. That's The Side Hustle Show as your promo code for one month free. Check them out over there, dodcontract.com. I know you just mentioned get meetings, but I did want to wrap up with a number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. If it's that, we can use that. If it's you've got something else, lay it on us. Hey, we'll, we'll, I'll give you everything I've got, right? So yes you, yes, you want to get meetings. I would just tell everyone that you know the government, selling to the government, that's a marathon. It's not a sprint, right? And so you don't have to be running full speed but just take it slow. Use the tools that we talked about here. See if the government's buying what you sell. You can register register to sell and start looking for those RFIs and sources sought. Look for the things that are coming up ahead of the solicitation. Focus on one customer. And again, you can set up a tool where you're just getting those emails when something pops up, right? So maybe it's once a week, maybe it's once a month, maybe it's every day, depending on the industry you're in, but it's a marathon. Just keep walking it, keep jogging it, and eventually you're going to get there. Well, very good, Ricky. Thanks so much for joining me. I love all this stuff. Definitely eye-opening in terms of what possibilities may be out there. In addition to just get meetings, form those relationships, kind of like going where the demand already is. And you can kind of see what, you know, what they're buying. What are they spending money on? How can you um, position yourselves to get in front of some of that cash flow? So I thought it was really interesting. Thanks so much for sharing your insight. Thanks to FreshBooks for sponsoring this week. 
Again, I want to invite you to get your business out of the uh, proverbial shoebox full of receipts and into the cloud with the help of FreshBooks. Side Hustle Show listeners can start your 30-day completely free trial at freshbooks.com slash side hustle. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're finding value in the show, the greatest compliment is to share it with a friend. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.